Welcome to Unlock Your Wellbeing, the podcast that teaches you the simple keys to health and happiness so that you can grow as a human being into a well-being. And now here's your host, author, certified wellness coach, mother, and wife, Alicia Leadham. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I have a really exciting guest here today who um, I'm just really excited for you guys to meet her. I'm excited to have this conversation with her. She's she's a little bit of a firecracker on LinkedIn, which is where we met. <laughs> and so I think we're going to have a really, really good conversation. Um, but let me tell you a little bit about her before I let her take us away with her background and her story. Her name is Sonia Funk. She's a corporate wellness strategist and speaker, a nutritional therapist, and a wellness coach. She has traveled the world as both student and teacher, learning and working in Toronto, New York, London, the Middle East, and Ottawa. Along the way, she gathered a big picture perspective on all aspects of well-being. Sonia is a dot connector. Her superpowers include outrageous common sense, I love that. And a willingness to ask the hard questions, which allow for easier answers. The questions she brings to the table cut through all the misinformation, fads, and cliches around wellness and mental health. Always giving her audience courage to find a better question, she helps them understand the real reasons they are struggling. Sonia brings extraordinary empathy and humor into all of her work. She gets it because she has lived it. Her 15 years of experience as an effective coach, therapist, and speaker around the world translate into her ability to relay transformational questions, tools, and tips that are relevant to everyone. Amazing. That's a really great um, bio of you. And I feel like we learned so much about you in just a bio, which means it's really great. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And I would say my colleague, Sylvia, who's done a lot of work with me, helped me write that. Really? (laughs) She kind of wrote it. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like you sometimes need someone who's an outsider Uh is like, you know, you do all these amazing things. We need to put this in there that we don't think is that great or that interesting, I guess, until, you know, you have an outsider, but, um, oh, so welcome. So please tell us a little bit more about what you do, how you got to what you're currently doing. Um, we do really similar work. And so I thought it would be really interesting and cool for us to like cross worlds and just jam on a lot of different topics of well-being in, in the corporate world together. Let's do it. This might be another magical school bus ride. It's one of my last podcasts was called. Oh, really? Is that the yeah. name of the, the podcast? No, no, that was, oh, you know what? This is our generation gap. That was a a show when I was a kid, there was a teacher and she took kids on these magical school bus rides and they learned about everything all at once. I remember it was my early school years, but I remember. Uh Yes. Okay. I love that. Good analogy. And it kind of is a little bit of my life. I've gone from in the work now, I go from the biology to the psychology, to the emotion, to the cost and ROI, to the structure, to the strategy, back to the biology and the timelines and the human story and just the, the whole big mess. I think all of my experience has just given me this ability to just say, okay, here we are. This is a mess. Let's walk into it and have a direct but kind conversation about it and you know, see, see what's there. And I think that's probably why I ended up where I am and what I'm doing now. I started off in the music industry, award-winning singer-songwriter, been on the radio, signed autographs, and then everything kind of fell apart when Napster kicked in and the deal fell through and, you know, all those kinds of things happened. So I went back to school. It was go big or go back to school was always my plan. 
So that's how I ended up studying nutritional therapy or holistic nutrition, I think would be another way to say it. And then I just had this need to teach the things that I was learning. So I started teaching classes before I was even done my diploma. Like by the time I got to London, I was working. I hadn't even actually finished it yet because I read all my textbooks and just started working and teaching. And then I had to actually go write my exams. <laughs> I love that. You're like, let's just get to work. Can I just yeah. teach this already? I don't need yeah. to let's, let's take just, the test. Let's just do this. And then with speaking, my very first lunch and learn ever was with Manitoba Hydro. And there was supposed to be about 30 people, 80 people showed up. So they had to make the room bigger. And it was just this big thing. And then they loved it. So they hired me for a PD day for HR. And then after that, I was hooked. I'm like, oh, this is where I want to take what I know, because that's a lot of people that can get the information, right? So that's kind of how I, I ended up doing this and getting into all the speaking. Amazing. That's, I love stories like that, where you, it just kind of falls into your lap, you know, where uh-huh. you didn't go seeking for it. It just showed up because that's what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> yeah, it, it was good. It's been the, I mean, COVID really threw a wrench into everything because a lot of it was here in Southern Manitoba and, and local and all big groups. And I was just not ready for it. So that turned my seven-year plan into a two-year pandemic plan to go. And I went on to LinkedIn because I hadn't and said, mm-hmm. okay, well, this is where my clients are that I want in seven years. Maybe I should try to get them in less time. And then that's what moved me up into now very large companies knocking on Okay. That's super interesting because that's when I started going on LinkedIn too, was like mm-hmm. right around when the pandemic started because um, I'd been bringing my work for mostly like younger women for years and years. And then when everything hit the fan, I was like, okay, these people actually really need this. And um, I feel like they're, they were ready for it now. So Interesting that there's this like pull yeah. of us being pulled into the corporate world. To, uh-huh. I've, you know, I've had, and- yeah, I've had some like high level business strategists say, if the pandemic hadn't happened, what you're doing wouldn't be this important right now. Like just like re- really blunt. And the, they said, you're, you're not, um, you're not a wellness person, Sonia, you're a business strategist. And, and so that just kind of helped me say, okay, well, I'm going to stop keeping my message a little smaller to suit the, the smaller community where, where I am. And I'm just going to start saying what I really think, because the 0.5% of companies in the world that are looking for me, if they're going to find me, they're going to find me there. So I better let them know that I exist. It took three, three months of that strategy for it to start happening. That was crazy. <laughs> what, what was exactly just posting on LinkedIn and them yeah. just coming to you? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was. So LinkedIn, I really like. It's a different creature than mm-hmm. Instagram or Facebook. I was like, my followers and fans are on Instagram and Facebook. My clients that I actually want to be working for, they're on LinkedIn. So I hired a business coach, Krista Mullian, I think I said her name right, just to help me navigate that and figure it out. And it was just, it, it was the, the right place and the right time, I think, for the things that I had to say. And I think I'd also learned enough that I know I have hard questions and I'm very direct, but there's a certain amount of space that you have to hold and with non-judgment and empathy to be able to get away with what I get away with. <laughs> totally. Yes. I feel you, yeah. which what, why do you think everyone's a little more ready now for what we're saying? You know, well, I think it, world. 
I think it's, if you look at all the trending hashtags, you know, from the last year, psychological safety is a big thing now, and all the stuff with the great resignation and quiet quitting and not quite firing and the great attrition, all that kind of stuff. It's all coming from the same place. And, you know, they talked about some of the, you know, Black Lives Matter was the biggest movement, you know, that's ever happened in the history of all the, the movements in the U.S. And part of my theory is besides the fact that, yes, they had a more captive audience, we also had two years to sit on our couches and feel everything that this world doesn't let us feel. And for a lot of people go, okay, I'm going to have to feel this. I'm going to have to face this. And then you find a new level of something in yourself. Then when you're supposed to go back, it doesn't feel, it doesn't fit anymore. And so people want to know why, and they want to know, what did I just walk through? Why does my brain not work? The way it did before and then when you bring in the physiology you know of the stress response what it does to our rational brain what our adrenals do to our emotions when they're triggered you know what we talked about the other day uh with caffeine you know just trashing your boundaries because it pushes you beyond you know what you're you're able to do uh, it, i don't know it was just time and also because mental health Mental, mental health crisis in quotations is so much more than a mental health crisis. And when people hear that message and hear all the other things that are being lumped under that, that are not necessarily mental health or are coming from a different place, it gives them a little bit of hope and then a different question to find a, a better answer. So I am very critical of what we missed the last 20 years in this whole mental health thing. I will often say in my attempt, obviously, to be fair, and, and I do mean it, it's, it's genuine. It's not that we got everything wrong, but we missed so many things that could have made it more right. So here are some of the questions to bring some of that into play so that people feel like they have some control. Mm, yes. It reminds me of, um, I think Tony Robbins says it all the time. Like, if you want a better life, you have to ask better questions. Oh, does and, he? Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I love um, I love that, that phrase. So I, I think it's yeah. so cool that that's how you phrase it to help these leaders and workers to ask themselves things they maybe never had before. Um, it's almost like we're there, we're relearning how to just do basic things of taking care of yourself, yeah. which we were kind of talking about this, you know, right before we got on mm -hmm. recording, but Tell me about, you said you saw this, this article on HuffPost the other day and oh, yes. it's like making I, you passionate. I think it was, someone posted an article, I think it was Gartner. They had quoted Gartner uh, research in it and they had said the study that they had done, they'd come to the conclusion that what, you know, corporate America needs is human leadership. And Don Pontrefact, I think I'm saying that right, had just made a comment of really? Like when then we need to tell people that the shower is wet and that my morning coffee is caffeinated. And then I just took that a step further because I have felt this way for a long time. It's just how did it get this far gone that we have to remind people that they're leading human beings? Like wh where was the, the disconnect? And so being who I am, I sit with that and I'm like, okay, where did it happen? Because I'm always interested in how we got here, as opposed to the attitude of, you know, pathologizing everything, there's something wrong, we need to fix it. I'm like, no, something happened. So we need to know along the way what happened. 
so that we understand where it actually started and start healing the little things where it went wrong. And, and but like when I talk about mental health, my question is that bothers some people, but most people really like it is, is it really an illness or is it an injury? Mm-hmm. Or is it a series of injuries that culminated into an illness? And even if it is an actual illness, because of course they exist, right? We have a great mayor here where I live. He's open about being manic bipolar. He'll be on meds the rest of his life and he's a great leader and he's, you know, kind of helped that conversation in our community. That stuff is real, but there is a lot of things being classified as illness or poor mental health problems that actually probably fall under, here's three injuries to these three parts of yourself. And if you heal those injuries, this outcome's going to change. So I think we miss the fact that our mental health, the way we perceive it is an outcome of a lot of things and that and we've just normalized pathologizing it and making it like some illness or something that needs a pill fix instead of looking at the whole story. And so that is, so then I take all of that and I look at, okay, why, why are we at this place where people have to be reminded that they're leading humans? So my theory goes back to the seventies and eighties because I grew up in the eighties. So I like to blame everything on the (laughs) eighties. And, you know, as much as that was kind of the time, I mean, late, late seventies, early eighties, really, as much as that was the time where someone saw something under a microscope and decided that cholesterol and fats, fats in, uh, in food cause cholesterol, we made a lot of mistakes like that. Uh, and uh, that is, I think, what is called parking lot science, where you're only looking for the answer in the places where you can see and so we made a lot of mistakes like that. And it makes a lot of sense because then when women went back to work and they had families at home and this survival thing kicked in where companies said, okay, we have to separate work and personal life. They're two different things that became the, the mantra, keep work and life separate. And when you do that and you try to separate yourself because everywhere you go, your soul is there with you, right? Like it's, it's just there. And so when we did that, and we tried to separate ourselves, we dehumanized everyone in the workplace. And it just didn't help, obviously. And by the time you get a couple of decades later, where we're like, okay, something's wrong here. Like, this isn't working. We're all too stressed out. We're all getting sick. Someone decided, oh, well, let's find a work-life balance and let's juggle the two parts of ourselves a little bit better, which helped a tiny little bit but it still wasn't enough. It was a really uh, a band-aid that just prolonged the infection of what this is. And I think it's just understanding, which is part of the work that I do and when I speak and my trainings, we have to understand that there is no such thing. That separation was never real. Your employees, how, how do I say it? Your employees, plumbing problems, sick dog, anxious kid, alien parent, debt, hypoglycemia, and unresolved trauma come to work with them every day. That's what I say to leaders. And then I say, so do yours. And the reason that all these things are trending and all these crazy hashtags and everyone is trying to sell the next answer that isn't really working is because we are not going back to where this happened, where we try to split ourselves. And so work-life balance is great. Trying to have a good company culture is great. Creating psychological safety is great, but what are they for? This is what we're actually trying to fix. So if you look at that, as much as it just kind of seems so simple, it changes the way all that other stuff happens and the strategy behind it completely. Mm-hmm. And changes changes the language because you cannot change a company culture 
or any culture without changing the language because we have too many triggers stuck inside our heads from all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that activate our trauma. Yeah. It's been passed on from yeah the eighties into yeah. now. You know yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a really amazing theory, and I I totally get it. It makes a lot of sense, and I mean, I even see that with a lot of um, the clients that I coach who are working in corporate, they're like, well, I have to do it like this because that's what my parents did. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I can't set a boundary. I I always have to work overtime because that's how my dad, you know, was working. And so a lot of this work is I'm seeing, like, we now have to unlearn these things that we saw as, um, you know, the way, the right way to do it. But in addition to that, I think that now um, people are having to come to terms with what you were just saying that work and life aren't separate. They're one and that's rocking people's worlds. They do not like that. We're, no, they don't like that at all. Like, no, 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 no. You're going to come back to the office. We're going to do things the way we were doing it. Like, yeah. this is just a two-year thing. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're very, very unhappy about it. Yeah. And so I think it's, um, yeah, it's hard. It, it's, it's hard work to like change your mind, right. Of deep rooted change. Um, because because it's no, and it's, it's kind of too late because we all had two years to realize that wasn't actually working (laughs) and as, as difficult as readjusting to everything was, I can't tell you the number of people that have just said, like, even like their relationship with their kids are better. Their kids' behavior is better. Their relationships, you know, if it, there was a, a lot of toxicity there, that very well may have gotten worse. But if there was good stuff there and it was just being covered up by the lives that we're living, it kind of all came up and they felt happiness again. I think, what are this? Was it 81% and 60, 81% of leaders and 68%, this was a LifeWorks and Deloitte study, I think, 81% leaders, 68% employees said that they considered their well-being, like their life, more important than advancing their career. Mm. I saw that, that recently. Yes. That was in, I I put that in one of my videos. Those are big numbers and I'm sorry, but if you aren't going to listen to that, because the thing is when you return back to a more natural state and you figure out how to do it slowly, strategically, your things are going to be better. The company will function better. There will be less mistakes. There will be less stress, leave all these kinds of things. It's just like you said, it's, there's a paradigm shift in the, the psyches of that that really has to happen, and which it is in some places, not, not enough. I think that's why I go in with uh, my exact leadership training is kind of comes from the perspective of empathy. It's like you, I know you're a leader with heart and you want to care even if you tell yourself you don't. But your job description also requires that you take care of the numbers. We're at a point where we now have to figure out how to make those two things fit into the same strategy right? Because they are still responsible for a lot of things. And there's a pressure to put pressure on to go back to the way it was. And if there's no psychological safety, and there's no permission to sit down and sort things out, they're going to have to go with status quo, because where is the space to sit down and look at it rationally and take a breath, return the blood flow from the survival brain back to the front where these conversations can happen. I'm, I'm empathetic towards leaders that struggle with that and that are being, you know, hard-nosed, you know what. Mm-hmm. And then there's just going to come a point where it's like, okay, well, now it's kind of a little bit too late 
the rest of the world is moving on and doing this and you guys are going to have problem uh, staffing. Yeah. Yeah. That I saw a stat, I don't know who it was from, but they found, it might've been a Deloitte stat that um, they found, I think it was 61% of workers say that they, in the next 10 years, they're not going to work for anyone who doesn't put their health and well-being as a top yes. priority anymore. I think, did I see that on one of your posts? Maybe. I, 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 I put it out there a lot. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think it's yeah. powerful. It's yeah, true, no, right? It's it, like, and it is. Yeah. And, and and that's 10 years. And they think, well, we have 10 years. Well, I mean, it's going to take 10 years to make those changes. Yeah. So you kind of have to start now, right? Yeah. Yeah. You just yeah. To start now with a two to five year strategy for some of that is all a company even needs to just start with. Like I always say, you don't have to do all this in a year and you don't have to help everyone right away. Do the analysis, look at where, you know, the the water is leaking out of the boat the fastest and or leaking into the boat the fastest, I should say, or the air is leaking out of the balloon and, and start there. But the conversations need to start in the next two years or you're right, 10 years from now, it's going to be too late and staffing problems are going to be a problem. I, I just did a keynote a while ago for an organization. I heard them talking about their what they expected to be staffing and recruiting issues, which a lot of people are having over the next couple of years. And we're trying to figure out a strategy. And my really what I was talking about was all about that. It's like if you don't adopt these things in that strategy, create the psychological safety. And I explained how the nervous system works and co-regulation, even with adults, there's still co-regulation in the office, right? And in and, and adult relationships, it's not as powerful as parent to child, but it's still there. That's the vibe of the company that you can't put a finger on that people talk about that comes in with how you regulate the nervous systems and you have to create psychological safety to have that and to actually shift that vibe to attract customers to you like there's neuroscience and I use music theory to explain this stuff too and I just said if this isn't you you are going to have a problem and I was talking to some of the leaders and I said because one of your main staffing they're a huge organization one of your main staffing competition just hired me. <laughs> and so we have to be this direct and honest now. It's like, it's now the next two years, you need a plan or you're going to have a problem because not only did the boomers and Gen X have time to think about all this stuff, millennials already knew some of this was BS mm-hmm. and Gen Z isn't going to have anything. They're not going to put up with any of that. They're like, nah, I'm not here for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's and like, then stressing the older ones out. They're like, yeah. wait a minute. How can you have these strong boundaries and just say, no, you can't do that. Well, you can, and they are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So, so yay, go Gen Z. I'm kind of for that, but I'm also, and I think you and I agree on this as well, uh, that there are also some biological risks and that they have that the older generations didn't that we do have to take a look at as well or even when they do want to work it might be difficult for them because each generation has gotten sicker and sicker and the life expectancy is going lower and lower right Mm -hmm. there there are some other factors at play but that attitude of nah I'm not here for that that's that's not going away no 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 not at all um, yeah, so I, that's one of the, uh, the questions I wanted to ask you was mm-hmm. what do you think is the difference in the role of improving, you know, well-being overall in terms of the people, right. And like 
self-leadership and personal responsibility versus the organization and creating what you're you're calling about psychological safety, right? Like feeling safe to, right. to be there. What what do you feel is the uh the difference and which one's more important? Huh. Okay, I'm gonna have to pick that one apart. I would probably start as a premise that at the moment they're probably both equally important. And I think trying to have the chicken and the egg argument is stalling process. I think it has to start with both. Every industry is going to be a little bit different. If I'm just going to generalize for the sake of being able to be constructively critical, I would say that the organization has to take some ownership of some of the stuff we've talked about already, right? If the people in leadership now probably weren't the ones that decided work and life should be separate 50 years ago, right? Probably not, or however long ago that happened. But there is a certain amount of responsibility that leadership and organizations are going to have to take now, even though it's not their fault. But they have to avoid the blame. Because blame keeps them from moving forward and makes them defensive and you have to separate responsibility and blame. And I think that's really important on that level and uh, kind of acknowledge the way that everything has been set up has created some of the systemic problems in people's personal lives. So there has to be some reworking and reconsideration on the organization's part. And then also motivated by the fact that benefit costs and stress leave are not going to go down now. They're going to increase exponentially over the next 10 to 20 years. And so there is a logical motive there. That, that's something that I'll often speak to in the biology of cost and ROI and do that kind of subjective analysis, which is much more powerful even than an objective one, to be honest. And then on the individual, it's kind of the, the same. There is this aspect of it's not your fault, which is the title of my mental health keynote and explain the story of how we got here and what's happening to each generation, the whole illness versus injury part. And then there does come that part too, where it's like, okay, this is a mess. This isn't fair. What, what the world and what I have been dealt with, I didn't give to myself, but I am the only one now that can start making decisions to make this better or to make it better for my kids. And so that I think there's a gray area in between there because we're all connected. The leaders are the people and people are also can be leaders too, right? Like there's just, there's a lot of gray area there. So I would not draw a hard line. It's just, and it, maybe that's not even a satisfactory enough answer because I, I like to just sit in the gray and go, it's probably not black and white and not one or the other. It's probably everything, right? So is that, was that the whole question that I answered there? Or was there a part of the end? I feel like there was something else. No, I think, I think that was my. Got it. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. And I talk about also living in the gray, which I think people are getting better at. We really like having yeah. yes or no, black or white, this or that. It's like, yeah. well, it's, it's a lot of and. It's yeah. this and that right? It's that and this, and they kind of coexist together. And so you do have to work on both of them at the same time in order to have like the really biggest impact. Um, And I mean, that's a, it's a natural human need that we want that, right? right? We we want the black and white. We want the one pill, the one answer that's going to fix everything. 
but it's clearly not a thing or we would have figured that out already. We've been trying for a very long time. And so then if it's not working, then it's a better question. Isn't that just like, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that just kind of like the story of our culture is like, well, just give me the quick fix. Give me the the pill. Give me the answer. I don't, I, I don't have time to work on healing. I want it fixed now. Right. Yeah. As, as a therapist, I've seen that a lot. And I, I'll say in organizations too, when I get a little firecrackery on LinkedIn, I'm like, you can't policy and program your way out of the human condition. And pol- <laughs> That's the type of stuff I love seeing you write. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> because it's just like, how do you even argue with that? You're like, oh, you're right. <laughs> I once had, when I, do we have time for a, a three minute story? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Here's how I really got into this work, especially with, with leadership and, and corporate strategy. This was a defining moment for me. I had done a lot of work here in Southern Manitoba. One of the companies I did a lot of, of work for here, they're a 500 person uh, company manufacturing. I'd done quite a few things for them and done their conference for all their, their dealers and stuff across North America. And so I asked the CEO for half an hour of his time. I said, I have a theory on how employee wellness realistically translates into community wellness. And I have a a strategy, I think, for how how that should look. And so he gave me half an hour of his time. And this is what I said to him. I said, okay, look, I see, because a lot of his employees were my my clients at that point too, said, I see the timelines in my office of the people that are costing you the most money, like benefit usage, stress leave, all that kind of stuff. And I also see that we are existing in the realm of a healthcare system that is so overwhelmed that there is actually even no choice that they wanted to at this point, but to do anything, to slap a pill on it at intervention and push the compounding cost of the root cause down the road. I said, I also know that people are working longer than they used to for obvious reasons. Mm. I said, so realistically, what I've noticed is that there's no one left in this country to pay for this except you, the business owner. <laughs> he just looked at me and he's like, oh, Sonia, you're worse than taxes. <laughs> 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 and the corporate wellness strategy in me was born. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And he said, but I also know you're just as uh, accurate and, and un, um, unavoidable. And he's like, and we need to do something about this. And so those, those are the kinds of leaders where I can go in and have these conversations, like here's all the bad news, but here's the interventions and the strategies to have better news five to 10 years from now. So I just, I don't know, I, the bigger the picture I can look at, the, the more I, I wanna see, right? It's just like, what else have I missed? But then going back to where we were before, I think when a, a good way to kind of bring that answer of is it the organization or the individual's fault and you know how much is the business owner's responsibility and how much is the healthcare and the government's responsibility etc it really is everyone i think it's almost all gray there's probably like some black lines here or there of this is specifically yours right because that that it for sure is a thing but i was chatting with um zach mercurio do you know him he's an organizational pr psychologist you should mm-hmm. all, I'll, 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 it doesn't ring a bell, but okay. connect me. Yeah, I will. I'll connect you with him on LinkedIn. He's, he's on Simon Sinek's team at some of the stuff okay. that he does. And he's, he's writing, he's doing his own research and writing a book on mattering, corporate culture and, and why mattering matters. 
And so I just, I love his directness too, because he was talking about not overly enjoying the, the self, uh, what was the word? Like psychology for individuals is very, you can do this, you can fix this, you are enough, all that kind of stuff. And he said, all the research is showing you're not enough. In order to be happy and healthy, you have to matter to other people. And so I just feel like that is very much what we're all actually still looking for and still actually need is some evolved version of the village that we lost. And I, 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 I said that mm. in one of my, my keynotes recently, I said, really, like in the psychological safety and, you know, talking about, I won't go into that now, but, you know, how our nervous system is designed and how we, how we were, how our DNA is used to being in community and what that does to our nervous systems in, in a good way. Um, we're really all with all of this great, the great attrition and the great resignation and quiet quitting and, and all of the movements that are out there, we're still still looking for the village. And if we don't figure out how to create an evolved form of it in our organizations, because our lives are ruled, <clears throat> excuse me, by capitalism <clears throat> and the way our economy works. So rather than try to change the system, we're just going to have to create something within that that gives us back what we're actually looking for, or we won't stop looking and we won't stop finding the wrong answers and hurting ourselves with them. Hmm. Yeah, that's, I, I really, really love that. And that just makes me think about, you know, creating a village, a safe, a safe place to work of just being humans and like treating people like humans and remembering that, like you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, your people are coming to work with their sick baby or, you know, yeah. an aging parent, like that is still very much a part of their life and what's, you know, their livelihood. And yeah. so bringing more humanity to everything, I feel like makes you feel safer of like, okay, I'm not just, it's not time to put on my professional mask and, you know, be yeah. that professional person and then hide everything, you know, outside of my zoom uh, background <laughs> of, you know, it, it's just like, it's all here. It's all me. And I feel, yeah. I feel like, um, the word professionalism really is maybe a trigger word that you would mm. consider. It's a trigger word for me. I just, yeah. I feel like it just, it doesn't represent anything good. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't love it. I certainly have my own version of professionalism that mm -hmm. is, you know, a, a little bit raw, a little bit honest, but I don't know. I get, I don't get away with everything. I'm sure with everyone, but I get away with a lot of it with the empathy and non-judgment. I'm just like, here I am talk about this not talking about it's not going to help right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but and yeah. it's not and it's not because I think where some of the miscommunication and resistance comes in is that then you know the I guess it, the older generation or those that don't quite see this yet feel like well we're not a family and we're not here to coddle you and all that kind of stuff and they think that that's what they're asking for and it's it's not it's it's a type of community it's an organism that functions and has different roles but if you can't recognize the humanity that's working in there, and if you don't understand that everything that you do, good or bad, good or bad, so to speak, impacts their nervous systems, which impacts their physiology, and it impacts every decision that they make and the work that they do and whether or not they're creative, how productive they are. And if they can 
have even the skills to, there are times to leave some of the personal drama at home, get your job done, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's some stuff and we're never going to get down to figuring out what those gray areas are and being fluid with them if we don't understand that we actually have to, some of this has to, has to shift. Because I, I mean, we don't have to get into the, the feminine, you know, women side of things. But if they've got a baby at home, right, or kids at home, biologically, there's just biological things that they have no control over, right? When it comes to co-regulation and the the biology of being a mother, changes a lot of things, and it even changes our brain to siphon off things that are just not so important because our brain matter changes and we, our brain subconsciously moves everything out of the way that isn't the priority of, of this kid. If you can work with that, you can have a mom come back and feel supported and do really well. But if they just have to pretend they're not a mom and just ignore all the biology, these are, these are the moms that end up in my office when they're 40 with weight that they can't get rid of and mm. exhaustion and didn't recover from childbirth properly. It's been 10, you know, 15 years and we have to go back to that. <gasps> anyway, that was a little bit of a, of a rabbit hole, but that any, any demographic males, females, young generations, any, any way that anyone's biology, how they, um, what's the word, how they identify with their particular biology everyone has something in their life that is going on or that needs some consideration that if it's just dealt with in an empathetic way with a little bit of space changes how that changes how they react in their nervous system and their biology and it changes what they're going to be able to do in their job does that make sense oh absolutely yeah yes yeah i teach a a lot about nervous system regulation for um for individuals right um, cause that's my biggest strength is like helping you understand what that means for you and how to self-regulate. And a lot of people haven't heard about, about it before. Um, do you find that you have to kind of remember that not everyone knows what you know at all the time, yeah. all the time? I'm like, oh, this is not basic no. <laughs> to me. It just is. But I mean, yeah. that, I feel like that's how it is for everyone who is an expert in what they know. It's like, you forget that other people don't know what you know. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes I'm like, yeah, it's just so basic what I'm teaching. Like everyone knows this, but, um, they don't, you know, and like, I mean, I'm even talking things very basic about how to prepare for sleep, how to like actively let go of your work day so that you can regulate your nervous system Mm -hmm. to be able to properly get enough rest and sleep so that you can perform the next day that you want to and not, you know, drag it on and on. Um, And so it's interesting that you have someone who's experienced some birth trauma or just giving birth. And then what'd you say? 10, 15 years later, they're in your office because they hadn't properly healed. It's like, I feel like sometimes we don't really grasp how important the moment is Mm -hmm. of what, you know, what you're going through in that moment and how you really need to stand up for yourself and do what you need to do in order to protect the long-term, um, of it, you know, like I remember after I gave, I gave birth almost two years ago now, and I really went by the Eastern philosophy of like, you know, it's 40 weeks pregnant and, um, 40 days after, like you're basically just bedridden and 
resting, you know? And I'm like, I am taking this so seriously Uh because I want to heal completely for, you know, my body like this. I don't care what anyone else says, even though everyone around me is like, you know, you should be leaving the house. You should be, you know, getting right back to it right away. I'm like, are you kidding? No. And like, even just the rest of me pretty much just being in bed and bonding with my baby and putting everything else off with work. And, you know, I'd planned for it and prepared for it and done all of those things that I feel like it's just a small example of a broad, right. Approach to Mm -hmm. those moments that you have to really stand into what it is that you need to do for you because you have to think about the bigger picture of it all because no one else is going to do it for you. Um, no, and a lot of the problem in within this particular context, women didn't know. So many mm-hmm. women still don't know that it takes two years for their body to return back to normal <sighs> and that having another one too soon sets you up for even more health issues when you're older. And it's like any woman listening is going, well, I did that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm fine. Yeah, if if, um, if you recovered fine, that's that's great. But not not everyone can, mm-hmm. and it's just getting that information to the the mainstream. I, I had someone a little while ago at the beginning of the pandemic say, if you're going to talk about nervous system, you're going to lose people because that's a scary term. And I said, no. Do you know what's really? scary? Is that people don't start using the word nervous system. Mm-hmm. I will I will have to be strategic about how I teach and how I bring that in. And so I kind of make it funny at the beginning. I'm like, nervous system. Does that scare you? <laughs> and then we, we we talk about it because we cannot understand what is going on right now or has been for the last many thousands of years without understanding the biology of how that works. Mm-hmm. We need ownership of understanding that. And then with, you know, even in the, with the postpartum care for moms, it's just like, I, I took ownership of that too. We did an event here before the pandemic called Mommy Matters. And it was postpartum care for moms from every kind of medicine that exists out here. We had doctors and naturopaths and osteopaths and a doula and a midwife and public health came and everyone came because they all knew me already and trusted me and did this whole thing just for moms, which does not exist in this province at all. And so it's just about taking ownership of people need this information. You can be on my team and do this event with me if you're not a dick when you give this information away. <laughs> Excuse my <laughs> language. But it's just like if you haven't done the work and you have an egotistical, evangelical thing about the message, mm-hmm. you cannot be on my team. Mm. But I'm, it, right. Yeah. I'm so glad that you did that, that you hosted the the postpartum care. Yeah. Um I was just talking about this the other day with my husband too. Like, I mean, I'm in an age where a lot of my friends are having babies, you know, and it's just that most of them reach out to me like Mm -hmm. secretly and say, Alicia, what about this? You know, what about this? (laughs) My doctor said this. I'm like, don't take, you know, but look into this. Yeah. Like this is what's happening here. And there's just, there's always, you always have options and there's so much healing that needs to be done in that in that industry but that is a tangent (laughs) yeah no it is we could probably do a whole podcast on that too but yeah yeah it's just it's that kind of I just have that attitude of no people need this question or they need this answer it is my job my responsibility is to do the work and have the perspective and and you know do what I need to do about my ego so that I'm not offensive or evangelical or a jerk about it when I, I do that, that's, that's my responsibility in the things that, that I do and to be careful uh, about it because 
navigating sensitive waters. We did it for moms because everyone's so sensitive about all the baby information that's out there, right? Mm. Moms were a, li- it's a little bit easier and a little bit less of a trigger. And with a mental health question, I told you're going to get in trouble. You start saying, is it early an illness or is it an injury or, you know, a combination therein? And to look at that, you're, you're going to offend a lot of people who are attached to their diagnosis. And I said, oh, then I'm going to figure out how to offend as few people as possible. I'm not going to need to never offend someone who is attached and who it triggers, but I will know that I was as gentle as I could be when I delivered the information Mm. because these other 90 people in the room need this question before their injuries turn into an illness. Mm. So it's, it's not easy. It's not an easy job. (laughs) No, no. I mean, I, I am, it is, a touchy subject, right? Because yeah. I'm very much in the same belief system as you. Um, it exists for sure. Absolutely. And is <laughs> the end. We're also dealing with a lot of, let's use the word injury that you are right. Yeah. Like people are, are having a lot of injuries. And I even saw an article the other day that um, there is a problem now with Gen Z self-diagnosing themselves because of what they're seeing on TikTok all day. Right. Right. So like on TikTok, people are saying, do you have this symptom, this symptom, this symptom, this symptom? And so they're like, well, I do. And this, this, um, they gave an example of this one, one girl who, um, was having very, uh, going through a very hard mental, mental health time. Right. And so her parents brought her to a clinic and, um, the clinic was like, well, this, I don't know what's going on here because she doesn't have any of like the classic signs, but you know, we'll, we'll see what we can do. And within, I think it was like a week and a half, two weeks, she was hundred percent better. And they found that it was because she wasn't on TikTok 12 hours a day looking through literally mental health things. And so just by removing that, and the reason she went on TikTok was because all of her friends had left to go to university and she stayed home to go to the community college. So she was sad and spending all her time looking at that. And by removing herself from the social media and looking at it, she was magically, you know, healed. She healed injury. Yeah. Right. Um, So that just made me think of people need that chance. Like, that's how I I look at it. Can you, you know, convince everyone? No. Some people are just going to go for the pill anyway. Some people really do need it, but people need the chance to ask a different question because uh, I do, I mean, I do it in my office all the time and we do the whole timeline and we look at all the injuries by the time they're 42 or 45 and on three medications and wanting to leave their marriage or so burnt out, they're on stress leave, whatever it is the more common that kind of language becomes, the sooner people will start to identify injuries earlier. It's, it's also like a, it's a strategy to also save our healthcare system mm-hmm. because I, I, some of my, like I have a lot of medical friends who've done events with me and they, I always end up becoming friends with most of them. And they'll say, what did she say? We were talking about percentage of people that come into her office, she's a medical doctor, that are there for things that are not in her scope. I think she's, I don't know if she said if it was two out of every 10 or three out of every 10, but 20 to 30% somewhere in there. If those people are redirected to a better question, 
and all the other everythings that are out there to help understand what the injury is and actually take care of some of the injuries, that is a tremendous amount of pressure to take off of a healthcare system that is mm-hmm. struggling a lot. I mean, I don't know. It's just math. Maybe I'm crazy. It just, there's just some of this that just doesn't feel that hard to me. And it's like someone told us it was. So we believe them. Mm-hmm. That. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. Totally. Uh, yeah. Isn't that interesting that they, we can have some more self leadership, right? Mm-hmm. And, and making those, those changes before thinking that everyone else around us should do it for us or that there's like a very quick fix to it, um, which is, I think a really big part of like nutrition, which I know as a nutritionist, you talk about yeah. like, that's one of your, your presentations that you do, right. Yeah. Is, is talking about the power of that with, yeah. with mental health as well. Food, yeah. Oh yes. Food, food in you. We yeah. cover all, all of, all of, all of the things. Yeah. 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 yeah it's a, uh, that's a big deal. There's just a lot of questions that need to be asked. And it's also, I think, what was really encouraging for me is when I started just to see other writers in like bigger publications, just explaining depression is actually a very useful tool that has helped keep us alive. Like depression is a biological response to an abnormal situation. And if you think about it in the terms of trauma, when you're young or abuse, it's something that will kick in to depress you so that you don't fight back so that you don't die. Like we've just have, mislabel these things right there are good they are good normal responses to adverse things that happen to us and anxiety is is a warning that something's wrong right that something needs to be looked at which is why the big trauma-informed question it's like the question isn't what's wrong with them when they're having anxiety it's what happened to them or what is happening to them and if we don't give them a chance to ask those questions and we slap an intervention on it, which sometimes is needed even to get to A to B so they even can ask the question, right? Depending how, how bad it is. But then aren't we just kind of numbing them and shifting them, believing there's something wrong with them so that if there's a fire in their life that's damaging them, which is where the anxiety is coming from, they're just gonna get damaged worse because they can't feel the heat as much. So I just, people just need a chance to ask a better question about things. And I think, realistically that's the kind of language and the kind of thing that will get rid of the stigma around mental health because i think some of it is actually this some people won't like this i'll be careful how i say it but i think that all the things that we missed right that could have made it more right we all know it on some level and so that's where some of the stigma around mental health comes from because some something in us even if we don't have all the language that you and i have no, there's something else going on there. If they don't deal with that and they're just going to call in depressed all the time, I'm going to resent them, Mm. right? And so if we change the language and can start talking about this, then when there is a real pathology, a real imbalance there, everyone's like, okay, well, then that is really no different than being, you know, diabetic or, you know, having, you know, something systemically that is off kilter or off balance. And then we, we work with it. It's a very different approach, right? And it's a difficult subject to, to talk about, but I know that some of the stigma, not all of it, comes from the, all the things that we miss that we know we should actually also be talking about with it. And then people get resentful and can be jerks about it sometimes. And so that's where some of that stigma comes from. Hmm. On the other side, some of it is very real. And when you shift the language, 
and you start saying things like, well, sure, they gave her an anxiety med at 50 before anxiety, but they gave him the med medication, the same medication for high blood pressure. Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. We need to talk about those things. <laughs> People don't like that conversation. <laughs> I can just hear the, like, what does she mean? I mean, it's true, right? And so I think like it's conversations like these and and being present at talks like yours, like mine, that you hear these, that you hear these questions. And I almost, I see them as like seeds of, of transformation. It's just a little seed that's planted and it's eventually going to grow because once you hear something like this, you can't unhear it. You know, you can't unlearn it at that point. And it's not your fault that you haven't heard it up until this point, but once you do learn those, then you know better. And so then you can start to do better and then you can start con- continuing to ask the questions that um, will change, change your life. Truly. That's where the transformation happens, right? Is Yeah. And it, yeah, it just starts with one little shift. Oh, maybe there's not something wrong with me. Maybe I'm not broken. Maybe something happened that can change right. the trajectory of somebody's life. Totally. And, and that thought of like, oh, there's not some, maybe there's nothing wrong with me. The, the second you say that, it's like you're taking all of your power back yeah. and you just are able to do things that you haven't been able to do in so long because it's like in that shift, it's like the miracle, right? Yeah. The miracle shift, like they say in A Course in Miracles. But The empowerment of negative thinking that also was crucified and shouldn't have been. It's just the ability to ask what's not working. It has been, hasn't it? They're like, affirmations don't work. Positive thinking doesn't work. I'm like, I completely disagree with you. I've changed my life. And yeah, positive thinking has a great aspect to it. It also has a bad aspect to it if you're using it it to to cover up. But then when you, so when positivity has been bad, because the unhealthy part of it can uh, trigger a childhood apprehension that we're not strong enough to face reality when it's on that level. And that triggers our HPA access and leaves us in a stress response all the time. The remedy to it is negative thinking that is willing to ask what is not working. Mm. So positive thinking has a lot of, is a big spectrum. So I was trying to define, I'm talking about this kind of positive thinking, and this is the negative thinking that is the remedy, actually. So yeah, people just need to be able to ask some questions. And it's been really hard for the last 10 years in particular on social media to ask a question, because so many people have used questions to make a statement instead. So then when you do ask a question, people assume you're making a statement, which I have had had to experiment with this in some of my writing it's before the pandemic to see how people reacted say no I'm actually asking this question I am not making a statement and social Mm. media has really destroyed our ability to safely be able to just ask a question yeah definitely yeah I've never thought of of how people are presenting it in that way um drawing their line in the sand through it which can take away from the power of the question itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been so good. Um, I could, con- I could definitely keep talking to you, but I feel like <laughs> <laughs> we could. Um, but I just love the work that you're doing. I think that it's really, it's just so needed and so powerful. And I'm really, really happy that more and more companies are open and receptive to, to this work 
right? Because yeah. I really, really believe that this is changing the world and changing people. And it's just, we got to do it. It's, it's so yeah. important. Yeah, we got to do it. It's yeah. Amazing. So one of the last questions I like to ask all my guests, the podcast is called Unlock Your Wellbeing. How do you like to unlock your own well-being? If I'm going to unlock my own well-being, it always goes straight to first service system regulation for sure. I have in my world travels, I probably have as many spiritual teachers as I do physiology and, and biology. I really like some of the uh, the the breath work, the shaking to shake out, like to, to discharge the, the nervous system. I will just, I will always start there because anything else that I try to do is not going to go well or as well as it could if I don't regulate myself a, a little bit. And that the other big trick is to eat something when I have my coffee in the morning. <laughs> so important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it really is. It, it helps it. a lot. I don't, I don't need the extra cortisol. I, I love my one cup of coffee, but food makes the cortisol a little bit less. Cause then all I'm doing is just sending on the roller coaster. And then I have to do more nervous system regulation later. Those yeah. are, it, I just kind of boil it down to those things. I just always start with, with regulating so that I know I'm actually in a place where I'm thinking rationally and going to make good decisions for the rest of my, my well-being. Mm. And, and then when your nervous system is regulated, I'll finish with this then you can actually sense where your boundaries really are. Mm -hmm. And then you are empowered to say no when you need to. Mm -hmm. So that your yeses that you don't really want to give turn into no's that you don't want to give. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Yes, I love that. One of my favorite ways to self-regulate that I teach is um, grounding in nature and going outside, mm -hmm. like literally touching the earth. It's like it regulates your nervous system so quickly. And so- being in that calm centered place yeah. is yeah. how you're able to make the better decisions and yeah, you hear the right ones. Yeah. Yes. Have you, ever, have you ever done that 40 minute exercise? Like in a forest, you have a partner, you're blindfolded and all you can do is just move along the forest floor. You're blindfolded and you just feel, and it just, I've never been that far over in my parasympathetic nervous system. Oh, cool. No, I mean, I lead like forest bathing classes and sessions yeah. in awesome. my workshops. Yeah. So it's similar, right? Where you're mm -hmm. like engaging all the senses and yeah. in, but um not blindfolded. I might have to add that in to my you next should. one. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. And give them partners to guide yeah. them. And just, well, yeah. Yeah. Totally wow. stealing that. I'm gonna try it myself first because yeah. You got to do it, <laughs> yeah. embody it first and then do it. But yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much. Um, this has been so great. Is there anything, how can people contact you, find you, connect with you, give us all of your, your deets? All of the deets. As far as working with me, companies or individuals, it's the whole avocado.com. Everything that you need is there and, and getting in touch for social media or to see some of my, my firecracker posts <laughs> would be linked in is where I do most of it. I will do some, I will put a lot of them sometimes on Instagram, which is big picture wellness, but I'm not near like LinkedIn. It's just, it's where I, I do most of it. So my email list on my website for all the rest of it. Cause it's, it's interesting. Cause I realized like, oh, the pandemic's over. I can start doing my own events again. <laughs> it just yes. kind of occurred to me. We can start doing some of the, the collabs and stuff like that again. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens this next year. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and thank you for having me. This was a lovely chat. Good. Yes. Well, we'll have all the links to connect with Sonia on her website, on LinkedIn, and we'll put your Instagram in as well. So I know a lot of people still like to be on there, but LinkedIn's where it's at. I think we can agree at this point. So (laughs) thank you so very much. Bye everyone.